Good morning once again, and um, thanks to Kath for leading us in prayer this morning. Um, I've got to be honest, I've really missed Sunday mornings the past couple of weeks. Two weeks, two weeks, and yet it feels like about six months. It's so good to be back, to be worshipping, to see people, and to be in fellowship with, with our church family. So it's great. But um, last weekend was really interesting because... As well as the, the teaching sessions and the, the time we had together and all that sort of thing, one of the things that we, we did was a day of activities. And um, uh, there was, there was, you saw some of them, the rock climbing and the high roping and the, um, uh, the, the archery, um, the caving. They had one of these, these tunneling systems that you could go into and it was pitch black and um, uh, it was... I thought I'd be, you know, sort of one of the gang and go in and regretted it after about five minutes, but of course you can't then back out. So, um, yeah, I won't be doing that again in a hurry. But all these things that we did, um, they were really, really good fun. But it was interesting because at certain times over the weekend, you saw different children and youth and leaders sometimes confronting fears. I wonder um, what sort of fears and phobias people here might have. So does anybody identify this one? So this wasn't taken last weekend, um, <clears throat> but uh, rock climber there, about a thousand feet above, um, above ground level climbing, uh, climbing a mountain. So an awful lot of people, and we saw it last weekend, there were some, um, some children who, who started climbing, they were fine going up, but when suddenly they were going on the zip wire, that was when it hit home. I'm high up, and I'm not comfortable with that. And thankfully there were really good instructors there who, who helped them, um, but there were some who just froze. And I'm sure that there are some people here today who, who would be, um, I mean, most of us would probably freeze if we found ourselves in that sort of situation, but even just being on, on any, sort of, uh, any sort of height, when you suddenly realise there is a potential of falling and splatting, that can put fear into people. Again, claustrophobia. Um, when I was in this tunnelling system, I, I'm, not, I'm not really claustrophobic, but in that tunnelling system last week, um, the, the, the guide went first and I, I went at the back. And we'd all been given a, a, a crash helmet to wear and um, had a head torch on it. And he said, oh, this head torch isn't working, so you take that one. He said, don't worry, with everyone in there, you'll be fine. There'll be, there'll be plenty of light. And I thought, okay, fair enough. Anyway, being at the back, and you, you go in and there's all these sort of twists and turns and drops. Sometimes you have to go up and in. And um, I quickly found that being twice the size of, of the kids in there, um, and the instructor himself, who was like an eel, um, I was kind of soon left behind. And so I'm sort of in pitch black trying to film my way around and everything's echoing and you're completely disorientated. It wasn't a pleasant experience. And claustrophobia is something that a lot of people, um, a lot of people fear. Didn't see any of them last week, to be, to be honest. Um, but on about, I think it was Thursday morning, I, I had, it happens every now and then, I get woken up, Tom! And I know by the, the tone and volume of the, of the call that, um, that this is not, um, this, this can be nothing else. Um, a spider has been spotted. Now, we didn't have a tarantula at Wall Road. Um, it was one of these, you know, threatening-looking spiders that's slightly smaller than a five-pence piece. Um, 
would blow away in a gentle breeze, um, but you should see the reaction of certain members of the Madder's household. Um, you would think that it was, it was King Kong threatening the building. But a lot of people do have a, a phobia of spiders. So they're, they're some of the more common phobias and fears that people have. A lot of people can identify with those. And I'm sure that there are other people here who have got different fears and phobias. Um, but we're not here to explore the psychology of that. Instead, instead, I would wager that for an awful lot of Christians around the world, and probably in this building as well, if you say, what is your biggest fear as a Christian? What is your biggest fear in your faith journey? For a lot of people, the word evangelism comes up. Because it conjures up somebody standing on a street corner shouting at people with a sign or, or one of those awkward conversations where someone says, okay, yeah, why? And you think, and you can't quite condense the reason that you go to church and the, the, the essence of your faith into one sentence and so you're left sort of doing the goldfish impression and then the conversation moves on and you think, oh, I've missed an opportunity. Evangelism can be a really, really hard thing to do. And an awful lot of Christians just cower at the thought of, of having, to, having to talk to people about their faith. Because it's something that's so intimate and so deeply seated in us that it's hard sometimes to put into words what it is that we feel when we worship God, when we pray, when we see God working around us, when we read scripture and have that connection. But of course, we are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, gives that exact commandment. It's the Great Commission. It's an instruction. And it wasn't just for the disciples of the day. That was a, an instruction for, it should be a sort of, um, it gets passed on and on and on. From people to people, from country to country, from generation to generation. And so today, that commandment is still just as relevant for us as it was for the original audience. And so as a church, we need to have a strategy for evangelism. Like it or not, it's what Jesus instructed us to do. And so I am really, really excited that come um, September, we are going to be launching Alpha. Now, can I just do a quick straw poll? Hands up here, anybody who's ever been involved in Alpha or has been to an Alpha course... Okay, so probably about a third, maybe. So the reason that today we're going to be looking a little bit at evangelism, and we're going to be looking at a passage which captures Paul's motivation, Paul the Apostle, his motivation for evangelism, is because this is something that's really important for us to do. But if I say to you, look, we're going to run an Alpha course next week, it's going to start, go and tell people, invite people then that's unreasonable. Because I'm asking you to go out into the world and invite people to something that you don't necessarily know much about, not very familiar with. And that inevitably will mean that when people say, well, tell me about it, you sort of say, well, I don't really know anything about it, but our minister's doing it, and he said that we should invite people. Well, no one's going to respond to an invitation like that, are they? Of course they're not. So before, before I can get all excited and say, hey, we're running Alpha now, what... What we need to do is make sure that we all know what the Alpha Course is. And so over the next, um, the next few weeks, next, um, in, through May into June, 
we're going to have a sermon series which is going to be taking the Alpha topics. Now, it's not going to be the Alpha course because that was never designed as a preaching series. Um, it, it wouldn't quite work. But instead, we're going to take some of the issues and questions that Alpha looks at and in a, in a context of a sermon, we're going to explore what God is saying to us and how God is preparing us as a church to run an Alpha course. Now, Alpha is brilliant. I came to faith through the Alpha course, and that's one of the many reasons why I'm, I'm really keen for us to start running a course. But it's got to be a whole church initiative. It's no good having one person jumping up and down saying this is really, really good. It's got to be something that a whole church buys into. It's got to kind of become part of our, part of our culture while we're running the course. And so that's why I thought it would be really important to explore the course together to learn something about it, so that when the time comes over the summer that I say, right, now is the time to go and start inviting people, then you, you've, done, you've done three things. Firstly, you've, been, um, you've, you've seen the sermons and you, you, you feel a bit more familiar with what the Alpha Course is and what it offers. And secondly, you've been praying for opportunities to talk to people and thirdly, you've been praying for people to respond to the invitation and to come along. And so you would have had a foundation of, of prayer to, before you go out into the world, before we, we go and we start inviting neighbours, friends, family, colleagues, whoever we might wish to invite. I went on an on Alpha Leaders course a few weeks ago and they said, um, they said this is a very, there's a lot of preparation, a lot of practicalities. And they said so many churches make the mistake of focusing on the practicalities and then a week before, suddenly think, oh, I suppose we should be praying about this as well. And they said, that's, that's just not going to work. It's got to be, be underpinned by prayer from the word go. So the first thing in this series, I ask you, from today onwards, please be praying for the course that's going to be starting in September. There will be people who will be in this church worshipping God this time next year who don't yet know him. Now. And so... That's my, that's, my, that's my belief. There are people out there who will come to faith through this, but it's only going to work if we as a whole church family buy into it. So, enough about Alpha for the time being. I really want this morning for us to understand our motivation for evangelism. Because evangelism, it can be really tough. It's when we stick our head above the parapet. It's where we, we put ourselves in a position to be shot down. And we have to expect that. We have to be prepared that there will be times when we feel really beaten. Because we've made ourselves vulnerable. But we are in good company. We are in the best of company. Because when we look to scripture as always happens, we find, we find someone who has walked in our shoes before. So in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a church that he, he planted and he's writing to them and he's telling them about his motivation the reason that, that he, he wants to share the good news of the gospel, the reason he wants to, to share the news about Jesus. I'm going to read this passage and then we're, just going, to, we're going to work through it together this morning and see what we feel God is, is saying to us and wants us to take from this passage. So Paul begins, 
You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from you, nor from anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So, This passage captures Paul's heart for spreading the gospel. It's Paul saying, you you remember we we came? We came and we we worked amongst you? Well, this is why. He starts off by by reminding them the state that they were in before, before they arrived, before Paul arrived. He says he'd been in Philippi. Now, if we go back to Acts chapter 16... We, we read, um, Paul refers, when he's writing to the Thessalonians, how um, he had suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. And in Acts 16, we read what happened. So Paul has been evangelizing. He's been spreading the gospel. He's been preaching and teaching and explaining. And eventually people get fed up with him. The, the Jewish authorities get fed up. They're attacked, Paul and his, his partners, in, in, in the work that he's doing. The crowd joined in the attack, it says in Acts 16, against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them, guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So when Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he says um, we'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously, he's he's not dressing this up. They were flogged severely. A flogging in those days, was it was severe, it was brutal. Some people died from a flogging. And then they were locked in the most secure part of the prison and their feet were in stocks. So they couldn't move. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything for themselves. 
they suffered outrageously. Now, for most of us, if we went through something like that, we would probably think twice about carrying on with our evangelism. You see, I don't know about you, but I've, I've certainly know I've been in situations in the past where I've, I've tried to talk about my faith and I've been shut down and I felt a little bit hurt, a little bit wounded. And I found that the next opportunity, maybe I've been a bit slow to, to take it because I've still been bearing the scars of, of what happened last time. But that's why we look to scripture. Because for Paul, for Paul, it wasn't the scars he was bearing. He still had the wounds. And yet it didn't stop him. When he reached Thessalonica, he, he said, he, he, he went, went ahead with his mission. It didn't, it didn't stop him that he still had the wounds, the physical wounds that he had suffered. It wasn't just someone shutting him down in conversation and making him feel a bit small. He hadn't just been a bit slighted. He'd been physically abused. That won't happen to us as we run Alpha. Because this is a different day, a different time, a different culture. But we must make sure that when we have setbacks, when we have knockbacks, when people hurt and upset us, we don't let it affect our mission that we keep going, that we remember that we are, we are, without going all blues brothers on us, we're on a mission from God. We have been called to do the work that God wants us to do. So Paul says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Again, there's so much suspicion about the Christian message. And this is why I think it's so important that we, we open our doors and, and invite people in and say, hear about the Christian message, hear about our faith, hear about our God, the goodness of God, the love of Jesus. Hear about all of these good things. Because if people don't hear about that, then, then all they read about is the negative headlines, the bad press. They read about child abuse or fraud or manipulation. They read about people taking advantage of, of, of being in a powerful position. All these negative things that hurt the church and damage the church. And if we're not the ones speaking out saying, hold on a second, that is not the church. That is not the church. The church is a family. The church is a place of love and of nurturing and of encouragement. The church is somewhere where you can come and be vulnerable and open and you will not be subject to any of those things that you've read about in the press. Please come and experience the church. We don't make our appeal from error. Scripture has been tried and tested time after time after time. I don't know if you've read the book. It's about 20 years old now, but there's a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He was an American uh, legal journalist whose wife became a Christian. And he got so fed up with her banging on about the, the church that he decided, right, I'm going to do an investigative um, piece on, on the Christian faith. And I'm going to treat it just as I would if I was... Um, uh, writing an article for, um, I think it was the Wall Street Journal or someone he worked for, um, 
I'm going, to, I'm going to treat this in the same way. I'm going to look at all the evidence. I'm going to interview experts. I'm going to, I'm going to study every angle, and I'm going to put together a case of evidence that proves above all doubt that this is nonsense. By the end of that process, Lee Strobel was a baptized believer, and he's now, one of the, he's now an evangelist. He's, he's written loads and loads of books about the Christian faith. And I'd urge you to, to read The Case for Christ, because it puts, puts together, it looks at all of the evidence. We live in a world where people demand evidence. And so much evidence is put together. So we don't, we, we, can, we can join with Paul saying the appeal that we make does not spring from error. It's not a mistake or an accident. It's been studied and tested too much for it to be error. It doesn't come from impure motives. Nor are we trying to trick you. This is not, this is not us trying to manipulate people. We have to be so careful when we, when we invite people to make sure they know what they're being invited to, which is one of the reasons why we're going to be working through some of the alpha subjects so that we can all have a, an understanding of, of what this is. So that when people come in, they, they don't feel taken by surprise. Instead, they know what it is that they're walking into. Paul says, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. What a privilege that is. What a massive privilege that is. But that's the truth. We are, we are trusted by God. When Jesus said to his disciples, go and make, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he gave us that charge. That was him entrusting us. Entrusting us with the responsibility of sharing the gospel. Paul goes on. You know we never used flattery. Nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. There's going to be some, some difficult teaching. There's going to be some difficult conversations. There has to be, because Christianity is countercultural. Because there are lessons that the world teaches that are, are not in line with lessons that, that the gospel teaches. In a world that says, get revenge when someone's wronged you, seek compensation, Jesus says, pray for your enemies and turn the other cheek. There are teachings like this which, which will make people feel uncomfortable, but we do this because God calls us to do it. God calls us to share the good news of Jesus. Paul says we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we, we could have asserted our authority. I love the idea that we're not looking for praise for people. Do you know what? I can tell you, I can tell you honestly um, that I, I, I love saying, yep, don't, don't care for, for praise from people. It's all about God. And we can stand and we can sing um, uh, riches I need not, nor man's empty praise. But I can guarantee you, if I'm standing on the door on the way out and someone comes and has, has a moan about what was said in the sermon, even if a hundred other people say, oh, that was, that was lovely, thank you, and that will be the one thing that is on my mind for Sunday afternoon and Monday and Tuesday. Riches I need not, nor man's empty praise. If only that were true. If only that were true. But you see, we must remember that as Christians, everything we do, everything we do is an act of service to God. 
And there'll be times when the world doesn't like that, but God likes that. The world will not last forever, but God, God does, and his kingdom will last forever. And so the temporary pain of feeling upset on earth pales into insignificance when we look in an eternal context at our actions and the implications of those for eternity. Paul says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. We must care for the people that come into our church. I love, I love the fact that I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on this one, I know, because this time last year I was, I was a stranger to this church, and it was, it was August when I first came in for a service, and, and as a family we felt so loved and so welcomed, and there was such a, such a warmth to the place, and that's a really good thing. But the second that we get complacent and just say, well, we've got that box ticked, the second we do that is the second that things start to go downhill. So we must always make sure that we're constantly checking that we are a caring church. Paul says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you, get this, not only the gospel, we're not just here to share the gospel, but our lives as well. Evangelism is a whole life experience. It's a whole, uh, it's a whole life exercise. It's not just saying to people, come to my church and, and read, read the gospel. It should be, our heart should be that we love we love the people who come in. There's that, that wonderful verse in, in Philippians where Philippians 3, verse 18, Paul says, For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's not setting up an opposition. Don't forget, some of them are enemies. He's saying it with tears. He's weeping for them. When was the last time that we, we wept for, the, un, for the, the, un, the, the, one, the people who haven't yet come to Christ? The unchurched. Those that don't know God. Paul weeps for them. He walked out into the street and he would have seen all these people who, who were either just deaf to the message or refused to, to, to listen or rejected him. That wasn't just Paul saying, oh, well, you win some, you lose some. Paul was brought to tears. That was the heart. That's the heart of the evangelist that we see in Scripture. We don't just share the gospel, wonderful though it is, but we share our lives as well. Each and every one of us has a life story. Some are long, some aren't as long. But every single one of us, has, has the, reason, the fact that we're here today shows that we are on a journey of some sort, whether we're just exploring and seeing what, what it's like, or whether we've been Christians for years. We've all got a life story to share, and there'll be elements of each story that will be useful to people who walk in the door for the first time and have never, ever experienced church or never explored God, don't know the first thing about the gospel. How great is it when someone says, I remember when I was in that position. And suddenly, you can identify. Suddenly, you're making yourself open and vulnerable. You're welcoming somebody to ask questions, to share a real-life story. 
You see, I can stand here and, and preach about the gospel and, and I believe in the, the power of, of preaching. I believe that it's a spiritual event and that God, God uses the words that are spoken. I believe absolutely all that. But I also believe that there is nothing more powerful than the power of testimony. Someone putting an arm around someone's shoulder and saying, let me tell you my story, warts and all. Because suddenly, suddenly it opens up a life path. It opens up a journey. It gives them something that they can see, a real story. It means so much. And that's why Paul makes this point. It's not just about sharing the gospel. It's about sharing our entire lives. And hopefully, people won't see a massive difference between the gospel and the life of the Christian. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Now, we won't be a burden, but we must, we must work. It will take a lot of work. We're going to need people to, to do some catering, provide some food each, each session. We're going to need people to, to do the welcome and to bring people in. We're going to need people um, to, to facilitate some of the group discussions. There's going to be a whole load of work that we do as a church. And my prayer is, is really that, that God will inspire the hearts of us so that it's not just a small group. Instead, there is a, there is a whole church buy-in. People saying that I don't know what I can do, but what are the jobs? And eventually we'll get a list together and say, well, look, can you do any of these? There'll be something that everyone can do. But right now, what can we all do? Pray. Pray into this. Paul says, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging. We need to be an encouraging church. The Alpha evenings, we need to encourage people. Sunday mornings, we need to encourage people. I've said it before, haven't I? There's no such thing in Scripture as the gift of discouragement. And yet so many people seem really, really good at practicing that gift. There is a gift of encouragement, though. And that's the gift that comes from God. And that's the gift that we can all seek to practice. We can share encouragement so often the world is a place of hardship and discouragement. And if the church is somewhere that someone can come and feel encouraged, then boy, are we making a difference already. Encouraging, comforting, comforting. Do you know what? There's a whole world of hurt, broken people out there. People who, who put up barriers and put on a, a mask when they go out because they, they can't bear to be themselves. The church should be somewhere that we can be vulnerable. The church should be somewhere that someone can come in and drop that mask. And they should be comforted. We know Jesus was, he was a great comforter. And we should follow that example to comfort those who need comforting. And finally, when Paul says... When he was dealing with the Thessalonians as a father deals for his own children, encouraging, comforting, finally he says, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Urging you to live lives worthy of God. That's where, that's where the, the evangelism comes in. That's where the, the gospel teaching comes in. 
It's all very well teaching the evidence and looking at the, the historical evidence and the archaeological evidence and the textual evidence and the scriptural evidence, all the, all the different all the different teaching, that's all great, but ultimately it's got to be a heart decision. It's got to be a heart decision to, to recognise the goodness of the gospel and to have a desire to live lives that reflect that teaching. I love these passages from, from Thessalonians because it really shows Paul's heart. It shows Paul's motivation to go and evangelize, to spread the gospel. It was a motivation that was stronger than any flogging. It was a motivation that, that didn't fear any imprisonment. It was a motivation that was prepared to be, to be completely opposite to, to the, the, the law sometimes of the place he was in. He would speak, he would preach, and, and, and the consequences, well, we'll deal with those afterwards, but we need to get the message out there. Thankfully, we don't live in, in the same culture as Paul. Otherwise, it would be a dangerous place. We have the freedom. We have the freedom to, to do this, to celebrate our faith, to share our faith. And so when we think back to the, the fears and phobias we spoke about at the start of the service, well, actually, we don't need to, to fear evangelism because we have nothing. We have no right to fear. Paul did, but he didn't let any fear overcome his motivation to evangelize. He really didn't. Because, of course, Paul, Paul has had his experience. He'd had the Damascus Road experience. He'd had the light shining in the face. He'd heard the audible voice. But he'd also, he'd also had other experiences. He'd had one-to-one Evangelism. He had one-to-one experiences where God had just put him in a situation and he'd had a conversation and suddenly... The message had been heard. And we see an example of that just before, um, just before the passage that talks about Paul and Silas being beaten. We read in Acts 16, Paul, uh, Luke writes, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. So they're just looking to go and pray somewhere quiet and secluded. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. There's nothing more mind-blowingly amazing when we're just out going about our business one day and suddenly we have an opportunity to share the gospel. There is nothing more terrifying as well than going about our business one day and suddenly having an opportunity to share the gospel. I'm sure I'm not the only one here who's had those experiences where you suddenly get to the end of a day, look back and think, oh, I wish I'd been more bold. I wish I'd spoken about my faith and my church and my God. I wish I'd taken that opportunity, but instead I kind of, 
uh, said the bare minimum and then, and then changed the subject because I just didn't have the confidence in myself. But look what happens when, when we do have that confidence. Paul and Luke and others have just gone to pray somewhere. They just want to be left alone. But they find a group. Conversation begins. Questions would have been asked. And once Paul starts speaking, the message is heard. He has the boldness to speak. And before you know it, Lydia, who was a wealthy, um, prominent lady in the city, she, she gets baptised, and so do our household. There's a lesson to us there to take the opportunity. Take the opportunity that God gives us. So between now and the start of the Alpha course, let's follow the, 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 the teaching of St. Augustine. Pray as though everything depended on God and then act as if everything depended on you. May that be our, our motivation. May that be our attitude in the coming weeks. You might remember... Um, I think it was, might have been my preach for the view weekend. Um, I preached on, on Jesus talking about treasure in heaven. And I made the point that, that we are the treasure in heaven. What is the most valuable thing in the kingdom of God? It's not, it's not crowns and silver and gold and pearls. It's not all that. The most valuable thing in God's kingdom is you and me and the people out in the world. And so when, we, when, we, when we're evangelizing, we're actually hunting for the most precious thing to God. And we've got to challenge ourselves on the question of what, what is the most precious thing in our lives? Is it material wealth? Is it our immediate loved ones? Or have we got room in our heart for the, for the lost? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus had a heart for the lost. Paul, as we've read in Philippians earlier today, he, he wept when he saw the unreached. And as a church, if we can find room in our heart to, to have some of, that, some of that compassion, then we will have such a deep-seated desire to reach out to people that God will bless that. He will honour that. And he will use that to reach the unreached. I thought I'd throw that in. I like that quote from Einstein. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. The more we pray for opportunities, the more coincidences will appear. It's the way prayer works. But they won't be coincidences, they'll be God answering prayer. And when you get those opportunities, if you've prayed about them, then take them. Be confident. Be confident that God will use you. Finally, just a few verses on in Thessalonians, Paul writes, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? In other words, what's, what's our motivation? What's the most valuable, most important thing? What are we doing all this for? He says to the Thessalonians, Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Let's, let's pray that we can, we can be a church that makes that the message that people hear and feel and experience when they come in through those doors, whether it's, whether it's on a Sunday morning or whether it's for Alpha or whether it's Christmas next year, whenever it happens to be, you are our glory and our joy. 
If we can, if we can make that our, our, our mantra, that when someone comes in, when a sinner walks in off the street and repents and celebrates Jesus and gives their life to him, then you are our glory and our joy. What a wonderful, what a wonderful statement that would be. So, pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities to speak to anybody who you think would like to hear more, would like to come to the Alpha course, would like to come on a Sunday morning, would like to come to, to one of the events that we, that we run. Pray for opportunities. Plan for opportunities. You see, it's all very well praying for opportunities, but if we haven't, haven't done the planning bit, then we'll still find ourselves in a situation where someone says, so what makes you go to, what, what, when did you become a Christian? What makes you believe? What about this? What about this? Plan for it. Plan for the questions. Try and preempt the questions. Some people have a sort of a short, snappy, two-minute testimony that when someone asks a question, they can just bang. There you go, two-minute testimony. That's my story in a nutshell. And it won't have all the detail. It won't have all the, all the everything in it. But on a high-level explanation, there it is. If we're not prepared, if we don't do the planning, then when God answers our prayer for opportunities, we're not ready for the opportunities. So, yes, we pray to God for the opportunities, but we can plan. And then finally, when we've done the praying and we've done the planning, be confident in God and in yourself and take the opportunities. Sometimes there'll be rejection. Okay. Sometimes there'll be scrutiny. We can deal with that. But sometimes, sometimes you'll be planting a seed which you might see come to fruition. Or you might not. You might not. But have faith that one day someone will. Someone once said to me, I never count numbers on a Sunday morning. Church isn't a game of numbers. Of course, I agree with that sentiment to a certain extent, but not massively, because actually I think it is. Not for our own ego to count how many people and celebrate that, although we do celebrate our people. But it's more because every new person that comes in, comes into the kingdom of God. God builds his kingdom here on earth through the church and we have a massive part to play in that. So let's get excited about it. Let's pray for the opportunities, plan for the opportunities, then take the opportunities and see what God does amongst us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Father, that you are living and active in our daily lives. Father, we thank you that we can, we can talk to you, that we can share with you. And Father, as we, as we look to, to run this Alpha course in the coming, in September, Father, in these months um, between now and then, we pray that you will equip us with, with everything that we need, the confidence, the, the facilities, the resources, the people, everything that we need to run that course. And Father, we pray that you are also preparing people who don't yet know you, who have got an inquisitive mind, who, who, who will come to this Alpha course and will come to know you through it. 
Father, we pray that you are preparing hearts out there right now. Father, we pray that there are people who, who at the right time will be looking for a course to attend and that they will come and they will, they will come here and experience a loving, welcoming, warm environment where they just feel so accepted and so encouraged and so comforted. And Father, we pray that through that experience they will come to know you because that is the most important thing that we can do to build your kingdom. So Lord, we pray that you will bless us in our preparation. We pray that you will bless us as we, as we have opportunities, that we will um, be prepared to have conversations with people. And Father, we pray that we will see new believers come to this church to know you and to live a life with you. So Father, thank you so much for blessing us. And please help us to bless others in turn. In Jesus' name, amen.